Alright guys, welcome to the Geeked Out Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about the rise of Nazi Germany. I'm Chase, joined here with... Elijah. And we're going to have Mr. Putnam as our professional speaker. And so we're just going to start from World War I, uh, once when Germany got punished. Take it away. So, let's set the stage here. At the end of World War I, Germany just defeated their Kaiser and his daughter flown off to Ireland to have a nice life while the German people have nothing. Treaty of Versailles... What exactly did that do to them, Mr. Putnam? Uh, the Treaty of Versailles was a peace treaty uh, that that brought about the end of World War One. It was signed in Versailles Palace in, uh, I believe, it was Paris, France, and all the winners basically were invited to this meeting. Uh, it was the United States, it was France, it was Great Britain, and most notably left out of this meeting was Germany, who had just lost World War One. And in this Treaty of Versailles, in this peace treaty, all of these countries decided that it was Germany's fault that they started World War I and that Germany had to pay everybody back for their crimes in starting World War I. And the Treaty of Versailles also took away their military, so they could no longer have a military. Um, It kind of put a limit to their factory systems so they couldn't uh, build military equipment. And they also told them that they had to pay money back to these countries, which was an astronomical yeah. amount of money. I heard that, that was like in like the millions or billions or something. It like was that. in the billions back then, yeah. which would, you know, be. And that's when Hitler was kind of, I guess you could say, sworn. And I think, if I recall correctly, he's the one who was going to promise them to get them out of the kind of, you could say, the recession that yes. they were in. Yep. And so, once when he started, I guess he. First sworn into office, I guess you could call it. Well, well, Chase, Chase, let's actually back up. Okay. Jumping, jumping from where they started to kind of, to be honest, the middle of it. Right. There, there's a huge journey well, between. Ahead. Sorry, I'm. I know a lot. <laughs> That's about okay. This I, already, I do. Yeah. I, there is a lot of people oh. forget that between World War One and World War Two, there's right. a thirty-year time span. Yeah. You know, so there's a, a lot yeah. that goes on between because Hitler actually was a soldier mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. World War One. Yeah. As I. See, before before Hitler's sworn in, right, he, he does a lot of things, mm-hmm. right? So first off, after, you know, coming back from World War One, he tries to get into politics. He really does. He tries to spread this Nazism belief, which he actually got from, I believe it is a writer. I forget his name. But the original ideals he got from a writer. This guy was a huge Nazi, and he was a huge believer in this whole Aryan, you know, race. But... After Hitler kind of adopted the ideals, he tried to get into politics, at first, very violently. Uh, I think it was Munich, down in southern Germany, where he actually, him and his Nazi cohorts held a march, pretty much, on City Hall and said, either have a, give us the control of Munich, or we will openly revolt against Munich. And obviously, the Nazis didn't win that, because, well, the German military and German military police were in Munich already and they just kind of swiftly crushed that. So after that Hitler kind of adopted that more person of the people more wanting to peacefully obtain office. And can I ask you uh, what happened to Hitler and his friends after they tried to overthrow the government in Munich? Uh, If I remember correctly, this was a long time ago I read Mm -hmm. this, but if I remember correctly a couple of his friends were killed and he was marked a traitor you know treason and he was actually he was jailed for nine months he was put in jail for nine months and this is where he writes 
Mein Kampf. Mein yeah, Kampf. Yep. The book. After he got out of prison, that's when the Nazi party kind of starts to take root and become more of a actual realized mm-hmm. party in the German political system. That's when they start trying to put out the propaganda like, oh, Germany is in economic downturn. It's because of non-Germans. It's because of the Treaty of Versailles. Why are we following this if it's such bad thing for our country? And that's how they kind of get those populist ideals mm-hmm. and those people with them because they're promising that idea of if we just keep the country German, then we will soar like we did before. And this is about the same time that the rest of the world is going through the Great Depression and the United States is in the Great Depression and Germany and the rest of the world are experiencing this depression and it hits Germany very, very hard. And I tell this story in class all the time that in the 1930s in Germany, um, it was actually cheaper for people to heat their homes Mm -hmm. by burning cash than it was by burning wood Mm -hmm. in their wood-burning stoves because the cash that Germany produced was worth nothing. There was mm-hmm. there was no money there to back it up. So was that because of overproducing the cash? Or was mm-hmm. It's it's. I compare it to. I can write checks to everybody in the room. I can write a million checks for a million dollars. But if I have one dollar in my checking account, those checks aren't worth right. you know the paper that they're written on. So mm-hmm. that's kind of what Germany did. They printed out all this money, but. This money was they worth had nothing to back it. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Yep. So the people seeing that they really start listening to the Nazi Party and and Hitler. They kind of start making sense at this point. Uh, Hitler started to tell these people how they're going to get out of the recession and how he was going to pull them out and he was going to make them become the strongest country again mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, so uh, after Hitler begins. Uh, making his way up the ranks of the Nazi party. You know, uh, Germany is still going through this Great Depression. People are starving. They can't buy bread. They can't heat their houses. They start listening to this guy who seems to be making a lot of sense. And as he is making more sense, he, he becomes more and more powerful in the Nazi party. At this point, the Nazi party is a political party, just like here we have Democrats and Republicans. And they actually were going to have an election. And Hitler ran for president... Um, as you know, the Nazi party president. And he actually lost the presidency. He did not win the presidency. I can't remember off the top of my head who did win that presidency. But that guy who beat Hitler just kind of wanted to shut Hitler up. Okay. said, let's, you know, let's find him something to do that'll make him happy. You know, let, let's give the baby the little binky so he just shuts up and, mm-hmm. and goes away. And so he appointed him as chancellor, which would be similar to vice president. Okay. It was a pretty high-ranking job. And it was through this positioning that Hitler really kind of kind of took off. Exactly. That. that was probably a worse move for him to do than to not put Hitler anywhere. Mm-hmm. Because from, from being in chancellor, he still has a lot of power within the government and the Nazi officials at this time controlled the Reichstag, which was the equivalent to basically our Houses of Congress. Mm-hmm. And actually, I might be going a little ahead in time here, but uh, the way Hitler kind of expands the Chancellor's power and gives himself kind of that unlimited fascist power, basically making the dictator, is, this is unconfirmed, but there was a fire in the Reichstag, which mm-hmm. he used to provoke the 
uh, extended powers of the chancellery. Many people think that a Nazi party member probably set the fire. There's no valid proof, but I don't think something of that coincidence would happen. That That is a widely held belief by many historians that I've seen, that they think it was a Nazi conspiracy to, to burn that down, yes. So, yeah, that is a great point. Also says here, under Nazi rule, all other political parties were banned. Mm -hmm. And I yeah. think what, that would force the German people that you didn't really have a choice to be other anything than Nazi, right? You yeah. didn't have your own rights or beliefs, so you kind of had to follow with what these people said, and whether they said you had to follow or else there was severe consequences. And at this point, there was also, there was already labor camps set up. Mm -hmm. They weren't, you know, the concentration camps yet where you think of their sending Jews mm -hmm. and gypsies and, and undesirables to be burned to death. But they are labor camps, and right. so anybody who didn't agree, well, you can go to the labor camp and build us some mm. some war machines. Exactly. The labor camps where they sent people to either be it mine, chop down trees, whatever mm -hmm. the Nazis needed right. to build these mega structures, their war machine, yep. weapons, whatever. Right, and I think that's how Nazi really helped them rise to power with, with these camps. They really were able to put out planes and materials faster than they could originally. Yeah, the, the Nazis, they had the probably most, uh, the newest and the best weapons of war. They had the best tanks being the Panzers. They had the best planes, and this is a little off topic, but near the end of the war, they actually produced the first jet plane. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's really kind of amazing to consider that how quickly they were dirt poor had nothing to coming they were you know top of the world top of technology you know just this war machine that mm -hmm. just ramped up in a matter of of years really exactly. it's it's pretty amazing and astonishing all right so let's start uh, okay. uh nazi germany going into world war ii then having all these materials from all these camps that they had they had the definite advantage over all these other um communities and countries Okay, so if we're going into the war itself, then, I think we should start probably at the Anschluss, okay. which is Germany's attempt and successful attempt to basically take over Austria without having to war them. Okay. Basically, they used the fact that Austria, which what used to be the Austria-Hungarian Empire, mainly spoke German. They had the same, or used to have the same government that the Germans did, the Kaiser, which was basically the king. So and and Germany had lost this land in the Treaty of Versailles in mm -hmm. World War One. It was previously exactly, Germany's yeah. land. So, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. No. No. Coming off any time. But uh, yeah. Basically, they used the fact that Austria used to be their land and was a majority German speaking and German blood country. That they basically said, well, why should Austria not be a part of Germany? All German land should be united under Germany. And that is kind of the second big move they make in World War II, the first being the remilitarization of the Rhineland. After Anschluss, though, they, I think it, they moved on to Czechoslovakia and mm -hmm. taking the Sudetenland? Yep. Yes. Yes. And then they moved towards Poland. Mm -hmm. Yes, after That's taking the Sudetenland, they basically gave Czechoslovakia a ultimatum of either join Germany or we right. will come and kill you. Exactly. Poland. No, I was going to say, I, before they got into Poland, and, um, um, Great Britain's prime minister, this is before Churchill, um, I forget his name, but he was just kind of, 
practicing what was called appeasement. It's just okay. like let's Basically as, saying, as you they, can have this but no more. Yeah, no more. Oh, Jeremy, okay, take this one yeah. but no more. Stop and there. Jeremy would and just then... be like, okay, I want this too. Yep. yep. <laughs> Poland. I find Poland very interesting because most people think they just ward Poland because oh we don't like Poland, but actually the main kind of reason for warring Poland is the the original German Empire, the Second German Reich was under the Kaiser World War One. They had pretty much all the land from eastern Poland. Poland was a very small country before World War One, and the way that Hitler was able to go to war with Poland, unlike the rest, is instead of saying, "Well, they're mostly Germanic, and all Germans should be united," he took one small piece of land and said, "Either give us that land, or we'll war you." This land was known as Danzig. It was a part that. Basically, okay, sorry. <laughs> I get lost in my own thoughts, but after World War One, right, they gave the small province of Danzig to Poland. And basically, how what that did was cut off the main part of Germany from a small little splinter cell they had at North Poland, which was the original Germany, which was Prussia. Okay. And basically, Hitler wanted that back so they could connect the Germans to their heritage of Prussia. And he used that basically to take over all of Poland. All right, so let's say uh, after they conquered Poland, let's talk about how they wanted to defeat uh, Britain and France. With France, they had a, honestly, a, a brilliant plan that I'm pretty sure was also used during World War One, mm -hmm. which was the French had built a giant line of bunkers. And Can I ships. ask you, Was mm -hmm. are you saying France had a brilliant plan or Germany? Germany. Okay. Well, France, France has, <laughs> they okay. never have brilliant plans when it comes to military, but... <laughs> but the French uh, along the Rhineland had built a giant, basically, wall of trenches, uh, bunkers, turret emplacements, just an impenetrable wall that nothing would be able to get to. Right. I believe it was called the Alsace-Lorraine, just yeah. like a, a line mm -hmm. of defense, basically, yeah. between Germany the, and the France. The Maginot Line. Maginot Line. That's it, Yes, yeah. thank you. And being dumb, they didn't think to expand the Maginot Line up through Denmark, or not Denmark, but uh, the Dutch and Netherlands area. So, obviously the Nazis, being very smart military leaders, decided, well, if we can't go through it, let's go around it, and took over the Netherlands and the Dutch, and then just marched in through North France, capturing Paris very easily, collapsing the already unstable French government. Britain, however, was a very different approach because they knew that they wouldn't be able to get through the uh, English Channel to invade Britain so they tried at first to wage a war of air against Britain by bombing London on multiple occasions but never being able to really break their defenses enough to do a full-on land invasion. So after that their plan turned less from trying to invade Britain to try to stave off Britain while okay. they fought their other enemies by using the submarines, the wolf packs, as they were called, mm -hmm. in the British Channel and all around to stop. And to, and to kind of supplies from coming, mm -hmm. basically yeah. from, the, from the United States and other European countries that were mm -hmm. sending supplies to Great Britain. Exactly. Um, I guess now we're going to talk about from once when the United States started to get into this whole situation. So, okay. So, Japan, being Japan, decides, let's bring in the most powerful militaristic country that can produce the most arms. I think first time. we have to go back to the alliance between Japan, yes. Germany, and Italy. These uh, three countries 
you know, created an alliance at the beginning of World War II. Russia was originally in there, but uh, they backed out. Um, you know, uh, Stalin kind of not the most trustworthy guy, neither was yeah. Hitler. They didn't work out together. But Japan, Germany, and Italy were all allies. So back to yeah. Japan. Sorry. Okay, so Japan. The alliance that was founded between Japan and Germany was a very interesting one because originally Germany was allied with China. And once the Chinese-Japanese war broke out, the Japanese attempted to break off that alliance. Because Germany had sent military advisors to China to try to help them fight off the Japanese, which I think is why they were able to survive as long as they did. But eventually Japan was able to sweet-talk Germany enough by telling them that we are more powerful, we'll help you in your goals, yada yada, and eventually got Germany to break off that alliance with China and assist Japan. A very big mistake for Germany. Uh, Italy and Germany, that's a pretty simple one. Italy, same ideals as Germany. Yeah. Germany, like, hey, a puppet state, let's go. Yep. So the U.S. gets in because Japan... Bombs Pearl Harbor. Mm -hmm. Not causing too much damage to the United States, but very much angering the mm -hmm. Americans as they think they're being brought into a European war that they don't want anything to do with. I believe waking the sleeping giant exactly, was the biggest yeah. quote there. And uh, so did... The United States declare war on Germany after that, or how did Germany get involved? Uh, so, America, at first, the president who I believe at the time was Eisenhower? Uh, Roosevelt. Roosevelt mm -hmm. declared war on Japan, asking Congress for the official declaration of war. Mm -hmm. And seeing as Germany and Italy were allies with Japan, they declared war back on the United States, getting us involved in that war. And pretty much closing the books on that. <laughs> yes, yes. The American strategy in the war was very interesting, I thought. Just because they didn't, at first, didn't go directly from mainland Europe. They wanted to first clear Africa out mm -hmm. because they knew Africa had a lot of untapped resources as the peoples of Africa were very behind and weren't able to tap into the resources mm -hmm. like the Americans or the... Europeans were able to, so there's a lot of untapped resources that both the Nazis and the remnants of the French government were using in Africa to attempt to either continue to take over Europe or try to take back their country. Mm -hmm. And I think also the U.S., because Germany had been fighting a two-front war, three-front really, yeah. if you count mm -hmm. Africa, the U.S. kind of saw that, hey, we need to kind of concentrate on one area first, right. and then we'll concentrate on the next area, mm -hmm. and they kind of did not repeat Germany's mistakes of trying to fight everybody at the same time on all yeah. sides, because mm -hmm. that oftentimes does not work. Exactly. Um, I guess we could go to when they were trying to fight Europe, or moved into Europe. Okay, so D-Day is where we should begin right. with that. Yeah. So D-Day Doomsday was July 6, 1943 yeah. or 44? 44. 44, yeah. The but, biggest beach, and it had the most amount of casualties. Mm -hmm. It was the hardest to get there because that was all, because of the you know the Nazi way of having a bunker, and then they also put um, the uh, west wall is what the Germans called it. It was the mm -hmm. fortifications because when America joined the war, they knew eventually America would try to invade with the British through the French Isles mm -hmm. or not the French Isles, the English Isles. Yeah, and they had massive... so they built a giant line of just right. bunkers, turrets, and such. Yeah. 
But, sorry, I, sorry, this is just very fun. So, going back to the names of the beaches, Omaha, Seward, Utah, Normandy, these names were picked very specifically because, if you looked on a map, they had nothing to do with water, the ocean, nowhere in France, because mm -hmm. they were trying to throw off the German plans if they got intercepted somehow. Uh -huh. Yeah, and then um, on most of the beaches, they also had big water, um, I, I guess you could call them blockers, to prevent... Soldiers, yeah. Soldiers and tanks from coming in and trying to bring in something bigger mm -hmm. to try to hit turrets and the front line. So one way that the United States tried to kind of avoid this blockade right. that the Nazis had set up on these beaches is they had, um, I believe it was the 101st Airborne, and they were paratroopers. Mm -hmm. So basically, I don't know what the exact numbers was, but I believe it was in the hundreds of thousands of troops were flown basically over these Nazi fortifications, mm -hmm. dropped behind them right. with parachutes and all their supplies trapped to their back and said, hey, why don't you go sneak up on the Nazis from right. behind so we can... And uh, that did not work out well for a lot of them. Yeah. But... Either way, D-Day, we eventually break through the defenses, we clear up the bunkers, and we claim the first American victory on European soil. From there, I believe we moved directly onto Paris, because mm -hmm. we wanted to liberate the capital to try to get the morale of the French people up, get some resistance maybe, and really show the Nazis that, hey, you took Paris pretty quick, well, we can take it quicker. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I think the last major kind of offensive that the Germans had, at least on the Western Front, against the, Bulge, yes. the British and the Americans was the Battle of the Bulge. And it was fought over a cruel winter. Mm -hmm. uh, both sides kind of started running out of supplies. And I also heard that they didn't really have much winter gear. No. And yep. so the, most of these uh, soldiers were just in either, like, pants and they were freezing, you know, their hands were frostbite and everything. And so that led to a lot of casualties just to weather alone. Mm-hmm. And it was really just a battle of will of which side would hold out the longest through the winter and, and hopefully last till till they got resupplied. And luckily the British and American forces pushed the Nazis back. And mm -hmm. and then on the other side, you know, the, the Russian army just, yeah, just, just never... throwing men at them. Never mess with the Russian army, basically, <laughs> is what... Germany over there with their <laughs> tanks, their weapons, and then the Russian just like, go. Just, just let's go. Come yeah. on, go away. We'll crush them under the pounds of bodies. <laughs> right. Um, Sorry. I don't know where to go from here now. I mean, okay, so Battle of Berlin, last battle, well, not the last battle, but the last major battle that will be recorded in the history book. The uh, Soviets just decimate Berlin, destroying the city over weeks, I think, and then eventually Hitler, you know, taking the coward's way out, ending the war pretty much. Yes, the Geneva Convention, yes. And then war's over, and then we enter slowly the Cold War. Yep. Yep. For all the bad that obviously the Nazis did, the world would not be the way it is without them. They invented a lot of high-tech things. They had some of the best engineering architecture. They they had a new like formula for concrete, and the concrete was just... So so much stronger than the current like materials we're using, which is why which is what gave the Germans the advantage in most of these exactly, wars, yeah. and which which led them to have all these victories rather than losing and losing a lot of men mm -hmm. and then having to try to find and find a new battle to conquer. Exactly, more that's land. why after the war, 
and we were still at war with Japan, we took on a lot of the German scientists onto Project... Uh, the, the Manhattan Project. Manhattan, yeah. yeah, Manhattan Project, which probably sped up the creation of the atom bomb. It, it was actually uh, German scientists that were defecting from Germany that told the Americans, hey, they're kind of working on this bomb, and maybe we should start doing it, right, too. That's when yeah. we got, uh, what's his name? Einstein, Einstein and Oppenheimer. Right. Mm-hmm. Tell big to atomic bomb from the United States. Yep. Okay. Anything else you would like to add, Chase, Mr. Quiet Man? What? I don't know much about this topic, so I, I kind of <laughs> just picked it. Because it's a good topic, I guess you could say. You can have a lot for it. Um, I guess we could go for... I don't know if this would be tr- backtracking too much, but once wins, you could go back to like the juice part. And start talking about when uh, it wasn't. It wasn't until a- after Hitler killed himself, and and mm-hmm. it's it's important to note that yes, the Americans coming over really helped put an end to the Nazis. Mm-hmm. But it was the Red Army and the Russians right. that really crushed the Nazis in Berlin. You know, it's mm-hmm. as Americans we want to say, oh, we came in and we saved the day right. and we we did it all the way to the end but it was a, it was a combination and and the russians definitely, well, definitely without had a the big, red army it would have been a much tougher fight yes much longer fight yeah. much more deadly fight exactly and and then the holocaust was kind of discovered mm-hmm. after the fact yeah. it was just mm-hmm. soldiers were walking through forests trying to you know liberate towns liberate cities and, and then they'd find they the giant just, complexes yes and of, then about a mile or two outside they'll just find these giant dug holes with or, just or, hundreds of bodies. Yeah, they're just piles of bodies because the Nazis just basically killed as many people as they could. They knew the war was coming to an end, so right. they killed as many people as they could and, and ran on to the next one and just left. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The, Devastation. That, that's the one thing about the Holocaust I could never really understand is the escal- escalation of it. Is mm-hmm. It goes from Kristallnacht, the Night of Glass, mm-hmm. where... Nazi supporters and Nazi officials would just go down to Jewish-owned stores, houses, and just pretty much break it, vandalize it, mm-hmm. steal, steal their stuff, right. burn their houses down. To right. them putting these people into literal death camps where they just mm-hmm. send them to eventually die, die after working for them. Mm-hmm. And there's very few survivors out of most of the camps that they had. Mm-hmm. You can count them on like two hands. There's not much. And to think of it today, uh, World War II was what, like 80, 90 years ago now? Ended in 1945, so yeah, so, about yeah, 80, 80 years ago. <laughs> and almost all the survivors of that horrible thing are, are gone. They're, yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're becoming a very rare mm-hmm. breed now. Same with uh, soldiers, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's becoming a lost generation. So. It, it's kind of scary to me to think about that because... Once all these people are gone and there's no more eyewitnesses to what happened, it, it just forget, how will you know? it how will it be remembered? Right. Because if we don't remember it correctly, then we're just because well, if people don't want to remember, it, they're not going to go back and learn about it. You know, yeah. they're just going to try to move on and look. It's going to become either incorrectly remembered or mm-hmm. just warped into something that would not be. Uh, that that we should not be proud of mm-hmm. that so many people died in this and for this that it should be remembered correctly and remembered right, right so that we don't make the same mistakes right. in the past. Because well, when people look at World War One, World War Two, you know, Nazi Germany, you always get the wrong idea and the wrong impression from it. Because there was some good in all of it. So it wasn't it wasn't all just terrible. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. 
Nuremberg trials were interesting just at how emotionless and how stone cold most of the officials were and even what some of them did to avoid the trials killing themselves mm -hmm. using cyanide pills hanging themselves whatever it is to try to give that last boot to mm -hmm. the anti-nazis there was one um i remember one uh nazi official who was at the nuremberg trials and i, I wish i had the direct quote in front of me i don't have it it's pretty long significant quote but uh, basically, as they said, do you have anything to say for the crimes you committed and how you did this? And he said, if you go to the countryside and find ig any ignorant farmer and tell him that whatever his country tells him to do is the right thing to do and he needs to do this for his country and for his family, this ignorant farmer will pick up arms and defend the most outrageous things you mm -hmm. could possibly tell them. So that, that's basically he was saying that's how we got the people of Germany to follow along and do these atrocious things mm -hmm. that, that I'm admitting to what we just did. And then they hung him shortly after. Mm -hmm. that, that's definitely something that kind of makes your heart and stomach drop. Mm -hmm. You're thinking that it people were so, so easy to do because it. Because yeah. they were... Even they most of the stuff you you could say that most of the soldiers and all them they didn't do it willingly. You mm. know, they were they were forced. They didn't want to do this, but they know if they didn't do it, they were going to be you know killed in some way. Or they had families. They right. you know they were getting paid to be soldiers. Hey, I'm just earning a paycheck and right. feeding my kids. They try to seem like a normal job. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's that's the reason why at the end of any conflict, war, or even atrocity, you you really can't blame the people of the country right. that committed it or who was in the wrong because. They're there, the soldiers are there to either earn a paycheck or protect themselves and their families from the government. It is almost always the tyranny of a government that mm -hmm. has the, these ideas and causes this. The, the few with the, the biggest amount of power, the fewest amount of people mm -hmm. with the most power, are the exactly. ones that decide the lives of, of millions. Exactly. Mm -hmm.